Welcome to Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left, where we wrestle with contemporary issues using history and theology as our guides. Our task is to reclaim religion for everyday people who want to live meaningfully without letting arbitrary doctrine or oppressive religious practice prevent us from asking big questions about our complicated world. I'm Reverend Sarah Lindsay. And I'm Reverend Peggy Clark, and we're Unitarian Universalist Ministers broadcasting from Community Church of New York here in New York City. Peggy. Hi, Sarah. This is episode good three. <laughs> it's yeah, good to see Episode three in our series on the divine. Um, and so we have talked about divine love or sort of the divine as loving. Um, and we've talked about divine retribution, punishment. Um, and today we're going in a little different direction. We're going to talk about the divine as hunter. Um, and part of what we're getting at with this is this question of like, the relationship that we have to the divine, how does that get created? Are we seeking it? Is the divine seeking us? Um, how does that relate to how we move through the world with mission or calling or sort of drive to live in a certain way? Um, but so I wanted to start because when we were talking about this before, you and I have different experiences of relationship with the divine and how that gets created and how that um, happened for us. So I'm hoping that you'll share a little bit about your relationship to the divine and that sense of being like sought after. And I think that one of the stories that I was telling when we were first talking about this was really the experience of being kind of profoundly awake and aware of the divine in the world. So that my, my first experience, I was studying religion and, and there was a lot happening in my life and I was spending a lot of time being very intentional about my spiritual life. But then really out of nowhere, I was walking near my college campus and I felt like, and this overwhelming feeling like I was falling in love, completely head over heels in love with all of the people that I could see with the plants and the trees with the houses with the road with 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 everything it felt like um like the air was was electrified or on fire and after that there was this experience i mean the experience of of falling in love and sort of being in love with people in some way hasn't left i can continue to tap into that i don't live in that like heightened, you know, experience all the time, but, but I can actually tap into that pretty quickly, or it overwhelms me from time to time where I am absolutely back in that place. And the experience sort of we were talking about of being hunted is that from there, there was this sense for the next few years of um, being pulled into a life that was so different from the life I had originally imagined for myself and feeling like I really needed to either answer this call. It wasn't even a call. I mean, I really experienced it as a pull. I was being pulled into something or was I going to very intentionally try and block all that, that experience and try to move 
into a direction that was um, seemed safer <laughs> than, I mean, I, I was being called into this world of ministry, but really like justice, you know, like once you have fallen in love with, with everybody, then the suffering just becomes, I mean, for me, it just felt like I couldn't breathe and I would show up in places and, and sob afterwards, sometimes for days. I mean, it was like completely overwhelming and I didn't want to live like that. I just wanted, I just felt like so many people live their lives without feeling this exhausted by this, but so exhausted by the world. So, um, and I just didn't want it. I wanted to live in a different way. I wanted to like have babies and make dinner. I just, I just wanted something that was gonna be simpler than that. It's really interesting. Um, you use the word like electric, like the air was on fire, right? Like, and it's a, it's very fascinating to think about, um, and you know, here I'm going to go to Hebrew scriptures, Christian scriptures, right? But it's fascinating to think about the encounters that people have with God, right? And like, so wrestling with the angel of the Lord or like seeing God in a burning bush, right? Like there's these, there's something about the way that mystics, if you think about St. Teresa and the you know, the piercing, right? Like there's, I think of the Bernini sculpture always. That's why I'm doing this. Like she's laying down and there's this cute little angel. And it's, it's like sometimes weirdly sexual like St. Teresa, but it's always got this sort of like element that's about love, right? Element that's about like electricity, fire, some sort of like overwhelming kind of burning. And I think that um, your articulation of that as a pull, as sort of an undeniable whole, right, um, in some ways helps me confirm God as love, right? Like if our articulation and if mystical articulation for millennia has been around this sense of um, like coming alive, right? Like generally speaking, no one's describing their encounter with God as like, it left me feeling super like depressed. I mean, maybe later, like you come down from the high, but like the moment of the thing is like all about like energy and creation and like being and love and like so then I'm like all right yeah so God is love great okay let's like take those two things on board right and so then yeah how do you how do you wrestle with the 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 becoming the person that that loving relationship wants you to be right versus like going the easy route and doing the thing that like you know so how did you how did you like decide that you were going to just give in like what made you give well, in let me just tell you, I, I will answer that, but you're reminding me of Sojourner Truth. Sojourner mm. Truth had this spiritual awakening and felt like Jesus was in her room and um, was the sun and was burning her like the sun. And she was like trying to find things like to hide in her. She's like walking around trying, like looking for umbrella type things, like to to protect her from the burn of, of God, you know. And part of that for her was this experience of, being sinful, like being afraid that she wasn't good enough. And part of it was that the call from God was, was so powerful that she, she felt like she was going to just disappear inside of it. So, so you're, I'm sorry. No, I just, what you just said, I feel like is really important, right? So I, I don't have that story that you have of like one day I walked out and I fell in love with the world and I felt like God was, but um, that feeling of am I going to disappear in my oneness with the world? That I do get, right? So mine was not like a, 
a flash in the whatever. It's like a steady burn, you know, of like feeling the world extremely intensely, even as a child and having this sense of like, if I let myself feel all that I feel, A, like loads of things have to radically change about my life and B, will I just disappear into this like, and, and ultimately maybe that's what the whole like sort of mystical experience is, is kind of the disappearing for a moment, right? Um, but that fear of like, do I, do I totally disappear is like a legitimate sort of a, anyway, okay, so tell me how you gave in. What made you give in? Um, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think that I, I knew that there was, you know, it's actually, this is why the Sojourner Truth image came to me. There was an experience of there's no sort of no, there's nowhere else to go. Right? Like the, there's no, there was nothing. What did I think I was doing? And, I, you know, I would sort of be living my life and like dating and do, you know, just doing the things that, you know, friends, I was in college and whatever it was, I felt like the, very physical, very emotional experience wasn't letting go. It was constantly present. And so at some point, I think I just, I just decided there, I didn't have as many choices as I thought. I was saying to you before, I was in spiritual direction at the time and my spiritual director said to me often, you're, you're Jonah, like you've been sucked up by the whale, you're being spit back out on the beach. And I was like, I believe in free will. Right. So I don't believe that God can actually keep dropping me on the beach. And what she was saying is, yeah, and you do have free will. The thing is, your own free will is the one that keeps bringing you back. Like you keep, there isn't, at some point, the rest of the world just melted away. And it felt like I couldn't, you know, part of what was going on was um, war and being really sensitive to violence and it didn't matter, like even if I'm hanging out with my friends, they would use language and I could feel the language. I could feel sort of casual sexism or casual racism that made my skin hurt. I mean, it was just, and at some point I thought there's no, there is nothing else. This is it. Whether I want to accept it or not, I have been spit up on the beach and I, that is where I live. And it just is what's real. And it felt so much better to just let that go and to feel like I'm going to just lean into this so that all the energy I was spending trying to create an alternative world or trying to just like separate worlds is part of what I was doing. I could let go of that energy, which actually did mean for me also not, not surrounding myself with the same kind of people. I let go of a lot of friends. I let go of... A, maybe a whole world of mine that um, I was out, uh, I was growing out of, and I needed to move into a new circle where what I was feeling was shared. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, I was the one who said, I was like, I don't want to do our call stories because I just like, oh, we have to tell them all the time. And I don't want to tell my call story, but hearing you talk is reminding me of um, the differences in different ministers, right? Like the, the way that, that different, and, and people in general, right? That were called to different expressions of the same thing, right? So go with me for a second, right? Um, you and I have different experiences of God and you and I have different ministries and different sort of cores to them. Um, but that articulation of um, you get to this place where to live any other way 
is almost like disingenuous, right? And so you you have a choice, but you sort of don't have a choice unless you want to live a life of lying to yourself, right? Um, so for me, right, it wasn't like a social justice kind of a thing. It was more like always about sort of wholeness and um, community and sort of like how we live in the world as people and any job that didn't allow me to live as wholly me or didn't allow me to help other people live as wholly themselves was like not going to cut it, right? It was sort of a, probably a little bit more of a humanist kind of a, a call to things. Um, and I remember I went to my, um, after divinity school, I went to a doctoral program and the winter break after the first semester, I came home and sat down with my mentor and I was like, just, I can't do it. No, nobody like they keep calling me mom because I care about people I was like because it was an academic institution without a ministry like thing and I was like I just and he was like just do it get out and then come back over here <laughs> I was like okay and then he gave me like a little kick in the butt I needed but the point is um it, I had this realization when I was there that if I could not that if I was going to be like mocked for being wholly myself right and for being sort of like sensitive or caring in the world like that I couldn't I couldn't do it. I couldn't go be a professor. I couldn't go, you know. Um, and so it's like you reach this moment where it's like this sort of, you know, there is no other way, right? There's no other, um, no other path. And it's, it's an interesting, that relationship to God and mission, right? Like who is calling you? Who has got you in the belly of the whale? Who is spitting you back out? Um, and that's much more complicated. We, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. That gets really messy. Um, but I sort of, I'm, I sit in this camp of like, if you believe that God is love, then there's an easy way to assess whether or not what you're being called to is, is a holy divine calling, right? Like that's, that's how I feel. I don't know if you... <laughs> Yeah. Well, right. I mean, I used to say to people all the time, you know, you know that it's God if it's, you know, creative and beautiful and kind and loving and, you know, and otherwise it's not. But I think there are plenty of people who think that their behavior is, I mean, at least just, but I think even kind and loving. I mean, I, I watch people, you know, what I would say abuse their LGBTQ kids, you know, with like conversion therapy or like, and they think of that as loving, of like bringing them back into some kind of, you know, made up Christian expectation or, or what, like, so I see that as so clear, like couldn't possibly be God because it is so clearly damaging and damaging a love relationship and damaging a human being. And they see it absolutely the opposite, that of course this is God because I am, it is my love for this person that is trying to convert them into something else. Well, and it's the like, I'm trying to save you from eternal damnation, right? right. So we come right back to episodes one and two, right? And like, and exactly this question of how you think of the divine is going to determine how you understand your own impulses and call in the world, right? So um, I'm going to lie to somebody about something, right? How I am in relationship with them or what I believe to be the, the greater good. I was just having a conversation with my son about this. Like, do the ends justify the means, right? We were talking about politics, actually. Um, 
and the sort of like the lying and hypocrisy that goes on. And I, I sort of said, you know, I think that that for a lot of these folks who are saying one thing one day and saying another thing two weeks later, the end justifies the means, right? They believe that what they, their vision that they hold, they can do anything to get there as long as they get there, right? Um, and that, I think that comes back to heaven and hell, to be honest, a little bit. Um, and so how, you, oh, go ahead. So how do you know? I mean, if what we're talking about is God the hunter, the one who, who grabs us and moves us and inspires us and electrifies us and loves us powerfully into a life of service and passion, how do you know? Okay, so I actually think that we misnamed this episode. And I, I know that we came to it because we were thinking about like divine attributes and the Greek gods and like how different cultures have sort of pulled apart pieces of the holy. But what if instead of thinking about it as the divine hunter, it was actually like the divine like lover or like the divine, like in other words, because what we're articulating is not the like, God is gonna find you and subdue you and like take you down. We're talking about like, God is gonna find you and pull you into your best self and make you like the, like, Fred Rogers style love you into being, right? Like that's what we're talking about. So I think we should have a different name as, you know, 20 minutes into the episode, I think we should have a different name. Um, but but I think for me, I think that's how you know is that if if you're, it's what you said before, if what you're being called into, even if you think it's good for the person after they're dead, if it's hurting them now, like it's kind of like a first do no harm, Hippocratic doctory kind of situation, right? Like if what you're doing is making your child cry or making them harm themselves or making them feel unloved, then probably you're on the wrong track. I mean, every child has those fleeting moments of feeling unloved, but if you're like chronically, then probably you're not uh, actually following the will of a loving God, right? Um, for me, it gets stickier when I consider that people don't always want a loving God, right? Like you and I long for and connect to and understand love as an animating feature of the universe, right? Whether that's God or the human sort of the, the all of humanity together, but not everybody wants, like we talked about this last week, people sometimes want retribution. They want punishment. They want division and separation. And that's where it gets even more tricky. Right. I mean, so it goes back to what, who do you understand God to be, right? So my experience of God is that retribution and division is not part of, of that reality, that it, those things are not divine. So while I may want, I want retribution for sure. There are plenty of times I feel like, I don't know, am I allowed to curse on here? Okay, let's say I'm not. So... <laughs> <laughs> But there are lots of times when I just feel like, you know, I, that I want revenge and I deserve it. But I, but I also know that's not God, right? I know that that's a part of myself that is, you know, satisfying in some way, but, but is not divine. But it does come to this question of how do you know that? I mean, I just simply know that. And that's really not good enough. It's not, it's, you're right. It's not good enough. I just know it is not good enough. So, so here's a thought. <laughs> um, do we know it because of community? Like, do we know it because 
although like historically mystics have often enjoyed solitude as a form of connecting to God, I always like to think of um, Simon the Stylite who like literally sat on top of a post for like decades just by himself with like a pulley system to get his food. Um, but but in but for for you and me, and I think for many folks nowadays, um, spiritual exploration, connection to the divine, a lot of that is found in community rather than in isolation. And so is it also in community that we check our call and our impulses, right? Like there's a reason that when I felt a tug to ministry, I didn't just pronounce myself a minister. I talked to folks. I talked to my family. I checked with my friends. I like listened to my own heart and talked to whatever vision of God I've got, but like also all of my people, right? So like, is there some piece of the knowing that comes from, as you said, surrounding yourself with people who don't just say yes to everything you say, or don't just agree on every measure, but whose core values resonate and who are willing to push you and stretch you. Um, maybe that's, maybe that's the. When I, when I had shifted and decided, okay, I'm going to be living a different life. I actually went to a convent. I went to a, a cloistered convent and um, I spent a few weekends there and then I went and spoke with the mother or whatever her name was. And I told her that I want, did you want to say something? Did you, <laughs> like, you wanted to be a nun? Yeah. Yeah. I told her that I wanted to join. I was like 20 maybe. And, um, and she knew me at that one because I'd been there a lot. And she was like that, you know, that's really great. And when you're 30, come back and we'll talk about it. And I was like, it's a really long time, but she was very right. I mean, she's like, and she said to me, we used to accept people your age, but it's really not fair. Like, you need to, you need to go out in the world and explore your own faith in the world. And if you are in 10 years, you have fallen in love or you haven't fallen in love or, you know, whatever. And you know that the cloister is actually where you're called, come back. And, by 30, I was like, you know, married <laughs> and owned a house. <laughs> that is fascinating. Wow. I mean, in fairness, I mean, I never, I never thought I wanted to be a monastic, but I mean, there's a reason I studied them for years and years and years, right? Like there is, um, I it's share, enticing. Yeah, there's something extremely appealing actually about getting to live in that fiery electric place. I mean, not that they do, right, all the time, but the, in the imagination, right, they're just always in touch with God and always in touch with the, you know, and there's something well, sort of, yeah, go ahead. There was also something, though, protective about it, because it did, the world, as part of that experience, the world really felt way too close, and the mm -hmm. world still does a lot, right, it's where I feel like just reading the New York Times can feel overwhelming, so it, felt like the cloister was going to protect me from this experience of being too exposed to suffering. I have really since learned that cloisters don't do that at all. That in fact, cloisters are places where people become very awake and face into the world, um, usually in profound ways. Yeah. But that was part of what I was seeking. Was it sort of in your imagination a protective barrier against? So it makes me think of, have you ever seen the show, The Vicar of Dibley? 
<laughs> some British show. Um, the comedian Don French plays like a, a vicar in a small town. But there's this one episode. You should watch it. It's my favorite. Um, it it actually like jokes aside, it actually contributed to my becoming a minister. But um, so there's this one episode where she's in her you know um, vicarage. <clears throat> she's watching the news and she's like weeping right and you know someone comes on knocks on her door and a funny little interlude happens but but it's this acknowledgement right even in this like very funny show it's this acknowledgement of like when you allow yourself to be open right so you adopt a loving god you allow yourself to love the world you allow yourself to care past your own family your own community your own all of a sudden you are your heart is broken all the time right like pretty much and so what i'm realizing as we're talking is that that's a that's a painful process that a lot of us try to run from because it's scary like it's hard to live in that place where turning on the news makes you want to weep right um and yet once you get there i'm going to venture to say not all the time but once you get there the sense of connection and love that you have with whatever your vision of the divine is makes bearable the open vulnerable brokenheartedness right so that it's almost like the thing that draws you in from the beginning is the thing that allows you to to live in that place and sort of come into that and again it's not all the time right like there are days when i definitely do not feel in touch with the divine huh. um but there, most of the time, most of the time, the broken hardness, even if it's overwhelming, doesn't feel unbearable. Is that like a fair distinction? So are you saying that, so you're saying that the broken heartedness doesn't always feel overwhelming and you don't always feel in touch with the divine. Are you saying that these things are simultaneous? Oh, that's interesting. No, not necessarily. I mean, there are days when I, like, my overwhelm at the world is so strong that even my, like, deep knowing of belovedness doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really help, right? In, 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 a, in a heart way, but it, I remember it enough that it doesn't feel unbearable, right? I think that's the distinction, right? Like, overwhelming versus unbearable. Um, but I guess ultimately, I'm just trying to say that, like, the, this issue of, like, what, how do you measure a call? And how do you how do you live into a call? And it doesn't mean a ministerial call. It's just a call to be in the world as your whole self, acknowledging the whole selves of others, because even that can be overwhelming and painful, right? Um, how do you do that? I think you can't do it without love, right? Whether that's your own perceived love of the of the divine for you or your love for the world. Does make sense, and it really comes back. I mean, it comes back to this experience, right? I think we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. This experience of God is love and ever present, and always calling us into being our best selves, and always calling us into um, into service. I mean, it doesn't have to be ministry, but into service and, and therefore always calling us into community. And that that's, you know, 
regardless of what the experience is, if the experience is something that's completely overwhelming and the air is on fire, or the experience is, is just um, a steady knowledge of love in the world, either way, that we are called to live in that all the time and to live in that in responsibility for all of those around us. So it's really interesting, Peggy. I, I hadn't really thought about this, honestly, but we, um, at church, we did a, a four-part series this month of February on love, right? And it was like loving your body. And then it was like love and sex. And then it was love and loss. And this Sunday is my birthday. So it's somebody else and they're doing, it's our, our field ed student. He's doing um, like love of country and how you sort of, how do you love a country that feels broken, right? Um, but, but what you're saying Ultimately, as we moved through this month of, on love, what I was like reminding myself of was the way that even for those of us who don't think about the divine or don't have like a God that we have a personal relationship to, the, there's a piece here that's about the cultivation of love. Like that it's not just a receptive, God is hunting me, God's gonna like love on me and then I'm gonna be all right and I'm gonna like find my way to wholeness and I'm gonna answer my, there's something about the active love that we have to embody and cultivate in ourselves, like love for the world, love for the sacred, if you feel that, right? But just love for ourselves, like that there's a, um, there's a very active individual move that we have to embrace and, and keep pushing at even when it doesn't feel that way, right? Like when I feel out of touch with the sacred, the way back in is not like, come to me sacred, right? The way back in is like, I am going to actively remember why I love people and why I love the world and why, right? And, and maybe that's the trees or the birds or the whatever, but I, but it's a, it's an act, love is an active, generative, creative force that we are also responsible for, right? You know, I, I think that it's like any other relationship, right? A relationship with the divine, that it, it, it needs to be cultivated, I know people often talk about prayer as this sort of like you get on your knees and you ask for something, right? You ask a question and then you don't hear an answer. And how many people I've said, you know, to like, that's a dysfunctional relationship <laughs> that you're, you're, you know, you keep talking and no one is talking back. So we need to be, um, we need to cultivate the relationship so that this is really conversational. And I actually think that God, is talking back. I think that all of nature is God's response. But I also think that we have to um, be very active in that, that you're right, that this is not about just passive. This isn't like get on your knees and wait for an answer. This is like, if I am not experiencing love, then I need to actively move out of myself and create that in the world. Which may be another way to measure like the validity, right? If, if what you're being called into causes you to be in a state of anger and hatred and fear, it may not be the thing that's, right? That may not be God calling you. Yeah, I mean, these are, these are um, this is like really complicated and ongoing things. And in fact, um, next week, we're gonna be talking about free will. Um, which relates quite nicely. I mean, you mentioned actually earlier in the episode that sense of like, you're, you're like, I have free will, I don't have to be spit out or, you know. Um, and I think that this question of, you know, who gets to determine and how and when 
what answer to give to what call, right? Um, and do we do we have the right to say no and and all of that? Um, so I feel like this is this is it almost feels like it's part one. <laughs> like this is a conversation that's going to continue, you know, into next into next episode. Um, Which is a, a really great way for us to to transition <laughs> and to start saying goodbye because I think that this conversation is going to be continued. 